WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio proudly presents the Marian Hour with Father Dwight Campbell, spiritual advisor to WSFI and pastor of Our Lady of Mount Carmel and St. Therese in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Well, good afternoon, everyone, for another Marian Hour program. And uh, I'm here in the studio today with uh, Angela Tomlinson. I think we're the only ones here, actually. No other guests. And I'm, I'm going to begin today with my favorite Marian prayer, which is the Memorare. So if you would join me in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. And St. Ephraim, deacon and doctor of the Church, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask um, <coughs> Angela a question today. Um, she has to get back into her seat. Uh, we, we, we had a, a Marian feast day, actually yesterday. It's not on the new calendar, it's on the traditional calendar, and it's, it's one of the feasts that's just celebrated in some places. You can celebrate it as, uh, you know, an option, so to speak. Um, and usually Angel knows the answers to my questions, but I, I, I think I, I may stump her with this one. Do you know what I piece it was? I am stumped. Okay. It, I know it was my mother's birthday, and okay. so there you go. Maybe she was born okay. in a Marian feast. Well, um, there is a feast um, that's on the calendar for June 8th. It's the Feast of Mary, the Mediatrix of All Graces. Wow. Yes. Wow. Beautiful feast, and that feast was the result of a mass composed by um, Cardinal Desiree Mercier, who was the Cardinal Primate of Belgium about 100 years ago, uh, from actually from in the early 1900s, maybe it was even before 1910, and he died in the, I think, the late 20, uh, 1920s. And he promoted what would have then been the fourth Marian dogma, because there were only three Marian dogmas a hundred years ago. The assumption wasn't defined as a dogma until 1950, although we believed it, okay? For example, we pray the fourth glorious mystery. But he proposed this as a dogma, and the popes liked this. Even uh, Benedict the the 15th liked the idea, his, his uh, successor, Pius XI liked the idea, but it never, I don't know, really um, 
got a lot of traction, probably because one reason, the First World War took place, and then after that, um, uh, Pius XI was focused on promoting uh, the uh, teaching on Christ the King, Christ's kingship, okay, he, his first two encyclicals. Um, anyway, Cardinal Mercier composed a mass titled Mary Mediatrix of All Graces and the Pope approved that Mass, Pope Pius XI. So it is, it is still an optional Mass that one can celebrate in the traditional rite. The 1962 Missal has it and uh, <clears throat> I would add too that uh, there's a collection of Masses that was put together in, I think it was 1970-71 uh, by the bishops following the Second Vatican Council. They collected masses that uh, were of, of a Marian theme on, on different uh, Marian beliefs and, and teachings. Uh, for example, Mary, Queen of the Apostles, and one of those masses, which are uh, it's the collection of masses to be celebrated usually on Saturday because Saturday is Our Lady's Day. And uh, in this collection of masses, there is one of the masses, uh, Mary Mediatrix of Grace. And <clears throat> uh, I'll make mention of this uh, because this ties in with this, this mass and this feast of of, uh, of of yesterday, uh, Mary Mediatrix of All Grace. Uh, in the votive mass, in this collection of masses, and this is after the Second Vatican Council, uh, the title of the mass is the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother and Mediatrix of Grace. Now it doesn't say all grace. However, the introite for the mass uh, the introit is the entrance antiphon as you're walking in it's usually chanted okay it says this hail holy mary rich fountain of love treasure house of all graces so we see the church teaching here there is a saying in theology lex orandi lex credendi which basically means the law of of praying is the law of believing so how we pray is how we believe. If we have something, a truth of the faith that we're, it is in a liturgical prayer, well, uh, then we're believing this because we're, we're, we're praying this. So Mary, Mary as mediatrix of all the grace of Christ is something that um, is, is taught and believed through the liturgy. It's something that has been taught from the very beginning of the church in seed form, and I'll just mention, um, uh, I could quote a, a number of different saints who, who have held to this teaching throughout the ages, but I'll just give a summary of this because I'm, I'm gonna be moving on to another topic shortly, okay? Um, I'll quote uh, John Paul II and Benedict XVI. John Paul II, between 1995 and 1997, uh, he delivered a series of Wednesday audience addresses. 
Now the popes give addresses on Wednesdays, the general audience, and usually the popes pick a theme w which they'll preach on for weeks, sometimes it's months, sometimes it's years. John Paul II did four years on the theme of Mary from 1995 to 1997 that was following on a couple of years he preached on Jesus Christ. And in his general audience address of August 13th, 1997, he said that uh, Mary's divine motherhood cannot be isolated from the universal dimension given to it in God's saving plan. Mary's motherhood is expressed in all the areas where grace is distributed. Now, what does that mean? Well, Mary's motherhood is expressed in every area, all the areas where grace is distributed. That means all grace, in the sacraments, in prayers, whatever. Okay? And um, John Paul II, in his October 1st, 1997 general audience address, said that um, you know Jesus is the one mediator. St. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 2, 5 to 6. There's one mediator between God and man, that's Jesus Christ, yes. But um, this does not exclude other mediators subordinate to Jesus Christ. We can mediate for each other. I can pray for you, Angela, right? Yes. Indeed. Yes, and you can pray for me. Well, Mary prays for us in heaven. And um, so we, we acknowledge that. And here I'll, I'll turn also to now Pope Benedict XVI. He really summarized the whole tradition on Mary's mediation with a, a, a very powerful statement. This was made in, he was in Brazil on May 11th, 2007 for the canonization of the first Brazilian saint. And <clears throat> in a homily that day, again, May 11th, 2007, Pope Benedict XVI said this, and I quote, there is no fruit of grace in the history of salvation that does not have as its necessary instrument the mediation of Our Lady. And this is a testament to the, the whole tradition on Mary's mediation in the order of grace. No fruit of grace in the history of salvation that does not have as its necessary instrument Mary's mediation. Mary's necessary. Not because God had to do it this way, but because God chose to do it this way. This is the order he established, uniting Mary and Jesus, the mother in union with her son, in his plan of redemption and salvation. And then, um, five years later, um, actually six years later, February 13th, 2013, in a letter, this was just before he retired, it was a letter um, for the Feast of Our Lady of Lourdes and the 21st day, World Day of the Sick. He wrote it to Archbishop Zemowski. He was the envoy for the celebration. And he said this in his letter um, that uh, he entrusted the, this archbishop's mission to the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary Immaculate mediatrix of all graces. So, um, we have 
papal teaching here, and again, I, I'm not going to go through the whole history of it. I, I've done that before. I'll do it sometime in the future um, of Mary's mediation. And the truth is that she is the mediatrix of all the grace of Christ. There's no grace in the history of salvation that does not have as, as its necessary instrument the mediation of Our Lady, the Blessed Virgin Mary. So this is the truth that uh, we profess as we pray, for example, these uh, prayers in, in the Masses that I just mentioned by Cardinal Mercier, which is available in the, the 1962 Missal, and in the collection of Masses for the Blessed Virgin Mary, which refers to, to her as the Mediatrix of all graces. So, uh, having said that, okay, that was this this feast yesterday, which, which, uh, as I said, is is an option to be celebrated, you know, if, if you you would like, in the traditional mass, but there's also a great celebration of Mary coming up this Saturday, Angela. Okay. Mm -hmm. And do you know what celebration that is? The Immaculate Heart of Mary. That's it. Ta-da! I redeemed myself. That's it. The Immaculate Heart of Mary, because. That feast follows on the feast we're celebrating Friday, which is the Sacred Heart of Jesus. The Sacred Heart of Jesus. Now, just I'll, I'll make a statement about the feast of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. I talked about the 1962 Missal um, back a hundred years ago, under Pius X. The feast of the Immaculate Heart of Mary was celebrated the day after the Feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, which is the Friday within the octave of Corpus Christi, okay? And that was requested by Jesus himself to St. Margaret Mary Alico. He said, I want a feast uh, in honor of my heart, my Sacred Heart. Um, the Friday within the octave of the Feast of Corpus Christi. and. That's, that's where it is at present. And <clears throat> the Feast of the Immaculate Heart of Mary was placed on the universal calendar 100 years ago the very next day, which is very appropriate because it shows the relationship between the heart of Jesus and the heart of Mary. Well, in the years that followed, I believe it was under, yes, it was under Pius XII. Um, he actually raised the feast to make it a a higher level feast. But he he removed it from being the day after the Feast of the Sacred Heart to August 22nd. Oh. And that's where it remains on the 1962 Missal calendar. Now why August 22nd? Well, the 15th is Mary's Assumption. August 22nd, okay, we can honor her heart now in heaven. I think that was the idea. However, uh, that separates liturgically the heart of Mary from the heart of Jesus. <clears throat> Pope Paul VI, now St. Paul VI, okay, he moved that feast back to the day following the Feast of the Sacred Heart, the Solemnity of the Sacred Heart, the Saturday after the Friday we're celebrating this week. And I, I think that's the appropriate thing to do because now this shows the relationship between the two hearts. <clears throat> and I'd like to use the, the rest of my Marian hour today to talk about the two hearts, okay, the heart 
of Jesus and the heart of Mary. But first I'm going to talk about the heart of Jesus. And I'm going to say some Latin words here. Okay. Um, Christus vincit, Christus regnat, Christus imperat. Okay. Now what that means translating, Christus vincit is Christ conquers. Christus regnat, Christ reigns, and <clears throat> Christus imperat, uh, he rules, okay? And <clears throat> uh, this is a recognition that Jesus Christ is king. He came to establish in the world his kingdom. He came to preach the kingdom. If you open the gospel, it begins by saying Jesus Christ, you know, he, he, he begins preaching the kingdom. The kingdom of God is here. This is how Jesus begins his preaching. And then he says, repent and believe in the gospel, okay? But he announces the kingdom. He is the kingdom in person who, who comes to the earth. Um, actually, the church he founds, which is his mystical body, he's the head, we're the members, okay? That is his kingdom on earth, not fully perfected until the last day when he comes again in glory, when the sheep are separated from the goats, all the members are united to him, his kingdom will be complete and fully perfected. So, <clears throat> now, how did Jesus conquer? Well, he did so by his preaching and especially by his suffering and death. He conquered Satan and Satan's reign over people in the world and established his church, the Catholic Church, his mystical body, his kingdom on earth. Uh, and Christ now reigns in heaven, in the kingdom, and his reign is ultimately a reign of love. Well, I think it's time for a break, so we will be back to talk about Jesus Christ and his reign of love through his sacred heart. Hello, this is Jim Finnegan from Choose Life, Illinois, and also from American Nativity Seed. Catholic Radio, what a wonderful opportunity. I recently met someone that was talking about that, where the Holy Father actually asked him to do more in the way of radio work in this country. So there's no question when you can put turn the phone on or, or turn your radio on and hear all you need to know about what's going on in the Catholic community. It's powerful. Use it as often as you can. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at WSFIRadio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. 
The Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is blessed with the opportunity to participate with WSFI Catholic Radio in the new evangelization. Holy Family is your local resource for books, CDs, and DVDs from Catholic Answers, Ignatius Press, and all of the other fine publishers featured on Catholic Radio. Holy Family also has the area's largest selection of baptism, communion, and confirmation gifts. Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is located at 9249 Old Green Bay Road, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. More information is available on Facebook. Hello, this is Father Campbell, back for the second segment of our Marian Hour. And um, I'm going to ask Angela a question on the air here, because I, I know that you, we recently had our whole system updated and have the ability to take calls in coming in order to to, to you know, have people ask questions. Are we set up for that yet or no? Well, they could call my cell phone and I could transfer it over or they could text me with a question. Why don't we try that? No, well, well, I'm saying no, though, the live, but we have the ability to do yes, the live. If they call, yes, if they call me on my cell phone, I can communicate to the board that way. Oh, we can't do with the... Direct, I don't have a phone hooked into the board. Oh, me. you don't? But right. Do we plan to do that? Yes. Okay, okay. I'm just, I wanted to announce that, that in the future, yes. this will be coming, okay? So, um, so to all of our listeners out there, you'll be able to call in live. Uh-oh, then ask, they'll stump you, Father. And ask questions, <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I'll have to just... We'll, we'll have to do stump Father Campbell. Yes, well... It's going to be uh, hard, I'll, Father. It's going to be really hard. But I'll, I'll look forward to getting some live questions that, that will be fun, make it a little more interesting and interactive. But um, today I'm, I'm continuing to talk about uh, from the first segment, the first part of this Marian Hour, uh, the hearts of Jesus and Mary, the, the feasts which we celebrate this coming Friday and Saturday. Uh, and <clears throat> before our break, I was talking about how Jesus came to, um, to institute his kingdom here on earth. He established his church, which is his kingdom on earth, which will not be fully perfected until his second coming. And he now reigns in the kingdom. And his reign is really, in essence, a reign of love. And he exercises that reign of love through his sacred heart. Uh, and why is this? Because his his heart is the perfect symbol of his divine and human love. Now, I didn't come up with this. Um, this is the teaching of the church. And as an example of this, I'll quote Pope Leo XIII. Back in 1899, on June 11th, 1899, by, by the way, we're in the month of June, June is the month of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and Pope Leo XIII consecrated the world to the Sacred Heart of Jesus on June 11, 1899, and he wrote an encyclical on consecration to the Sacred Heart, and <clears throat> in that encyclical letter, 
he spoke of how the consecration to Christ's sacred heart was linked with his universal kingship, you see. And uh, subsequent popes had made it clear that the reign of Christ's heart, of his love over the hearts of men, comes through the Immaculate Heart of Mary. The symbol, the perfect symbol of her love for God, her love for Jesus Christ, and her love for us. Okay, And also it's a symbol of her universal queenship. Well, <clears throat> I'll say this, uh, a genuine civilization of love and the reign of Christ will be established only through um, <clears throat> that uh, acknowledgement of Christ as, as our Savior and Redeemer by everyone. Only when men, all people on earth, acknowledge Jesus as the universal Redeemer and King. And really when his, his heart is enthroned in the hearts of all men. And, you know, that, that heart of Jesus is alive and beating in the Eucharist. We just celebrated the great feast of Corpus Christi. Um, most celebrated it last Sunday. Um, and uh, that, that heart of Jesus that is present in the Eucharist, which is what Jesus communicated to St. Margaret Mary. I'll talk about that in a few minutes, okay? Um, Jesus, he... His Eucharistic heart lives and reigns over our hearts. And that reign of Christ will be perfectly established only through the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And I'll just mention here, for anyone interested, I just finished my second class of four classes that I'm teaching on true devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary uh, by way of St. Louis de Montfort. This is at St. Tree's Church, uh, Tuesday evenings, next Tuesday and the Tuesday following, St. Tree's Church, um, 2020 East 91st Street in Kenosha. And I'll be continuing with a four-part course on true devotion to Mary, which is really helping people to prepare to make a total consecration to Jesus through Mary. And the, the study that I'm doing is really the graduate course. Uh, if any of you have ever done Father Michael Gately's uh, consecration <laughs> to, the, to Mary's heart, okay? Well, this is, this is a step up um, from that. It's more theological because St. Louis de Montfort is, is uh, more theological in his approach as to the foundation for for in theology for for Mary's role in the church and the meaning of consecration so I invite anyone to come you can attend the last two classes you can get a copy of true devotion to Mary at Holy Family Catholic bookstore <laughs> um, they have ordered copies for for people in light of the class I'm holding and so feel free to come it's at 7 p.m. again 7 p.m. at St. Therese Church next Tuesday and the Tuesday after that, the third and fourth Tuesdays in June. And uh, this will help people to, um, 
to prepare for a total consecration um, by way of St. Louis de Montfort to Jesus through Mary. But I'm going to read from the beginning, the very beginning of St. Louis de Montfort's book, because you know most people, you know, the, the idea of the reign of Christ and the reign of Mary is not on their, you could say, theological, spiritual, devotional uh, radar. And this is how St. Louis de Montfort begins his true devotion to Mary, the very first line. It was through the Blessed Virgin that Jesus Christ came into the world. It is also through her that he must reign in the world. Okay? And then in number 13, still in the introduction to St. Louis de Montfort's True Devotion, he says this, if the knowledge and the kingdom of Jesus Christ must come into the world, it can only be as a necessary consequence of the knowledge and the reign of Mary. She who first gave him to the world will establish his kingdom in the world. And this is really what St. Louis de Montfort's uh, consecration to Mary involves, uh, an acknowledgement that she is queen and queen of all hearts, her heart being the symbol of her, her love and devotion to Jesus. And we go through, through the heart of Mary to the heart of Jesus. And so Christ's reign, the reign of his heart, the reign of love over the hearts of, of all peoples in the world, okay, uh, will come only through the triumph of Mary's immaculate heart. This is uh, part of the meaning of the Fatima message, okay? When she reigns as, as queen and mother over all men, reigns and rules over their hearts. And, you know, Mary at Fatima told um, the children, in the end, my immaculate heart will triumph because the triumph of her, her heart will bring about the triumph of the heart of her divine son, Jesus Christ. And our, our duty as Christians is really to promote and extend the kingly reign of Jesus Christ. And uh, actually, this is something called the, the social reign of Christ. Social meaning over society, okay? The social reign of, of, of Jesus and, and Mary, because Mary reigns with him. Okay. And, um, well, I'll just turn now to, you know, the topic of, uh, I mean, a related topic here, uh, when we're talking about the hearts of Jesus and Mary, what, what is significant about their hearts? We're celebrating the Feast of the Heart of Jesus Friday, the heart of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, or the Sorrowful and Immaculate Heart of Mary, as I like to call it, on Saturday. Okay, what what is it about the heart that makes um, this this organ of the body special and an object of uh, devotion and worship and adoration, actually, for the heart of Jesus? Because we worship and adore His heart. It's the heart of the Savior. Well, um, the the heart is in the history of God's revelation, okay, is the you know, symbol par excellence 
of interiority, uh, the interior life, the inner core of the person. Someone's thinking, someone's willing, their affections, their emotions, their memory, their conscience, okay? Think about this, Angela. When you say, I know that person's heart, what are you saying? Who, who he is. Yeah, you know, you know who this person is, okay? You know His ab- about them. Yeah, they're what's not just the appearances, but you yeah, know what's, essence. you know, the, the inside of the person, you know? And um, um, so... Uh, the, the heart throughout human history has been recognized by all peoples of all cultures as symbolic of this. It's amazing. If you, I've, I've done research on this, and I'll just give some examples here. Um, you know, the, the ancient Egyptians, when someone died, they would weigh their heart. They had some system like they'd they'd weigh it and, you know, whether they were a good or bad person. Um, uh, And another example, you know, the the Jesuit martyrs. Yes. Okay, when when some of them were martyred, like uh, St. John de Verboeuf, okay, uh, he was so courageous when uh, the the, the Iroquois were, were, you know, basically filleting him and tearing parts of his body off and uh, gouging out his eyes and pouring boiling water over him and sticking, uh, you know, uh, red-hot hatchets from fires under his arms and doing all these things. He he just kept praying for them, you know, and refused to break down. They were so impressed. You know what they did? They ate his heart. They ate his heart because they they thought, yes. I was just thinking of him. Yes, yes. And, uh, well, these are just some examples of how the heart has been, you know, recognized by peoples of all cultures as the symbol of of the person, especially the interior of the person. And this is true in in revealed anthropology. Okay. Anthropology is the study of man. Revealed anthropology or Judeo-Christian anthropology uh, reveals to us uh, the heart as the metaphorical symbol of the totality of the persons, one's interior life, okay? And uh, here here are some examples of this from especially the Old Testament. There are 853 references to heart in the Old Testament. Wow, I mean, that's just, it's filled with references to heart. Uh, the Hebrew was a very concrete language, and um, you know even God has a heart in the Old Testament. It speaks of the heart of God in this symbolic, metaphorical way. Okay, and uh, and in the New Testament, I think there, are, I, I think the number is about 153 references to um, uh, heart, or 157, something like that, and it shows how how uh, appealing. The heart and talk about the heart is to, to people um, throughout the centuries. Um, you know, when when the prophet Samuel went to anoint uh, David the king, okay, um, Samuel thought the other sons of Jesse were. The, the ones he should anoint. You know, he says, oh, it looks like this this big strapping fellow here, and God was telling him, no, no, it's not any of these, you know. 
And then Samuel asks Jesse, the father, he says, do you have any more sons? And Jesse says, yeah, there's, there's another one, David. He's out there <laughs> tending the sheep. And that's the chosen one that God wanted Samuel to anoint. And then God told Samuel, man sees the appearance, God sees the heart. Okay, So uh, God knows our hearts, in other words. And um, so the New Testament actually reveals uh, the heart is the symbol of love of Jesus and Mary. And, <clears throat> you know, we, get, we can think of uh, I'll, I'll refer here to uh, the, it's called The Great Revelation of Jesus to St. Margaret Mary Alaco in 1675. Okay. Jesus appeared to her, parted his garment, showed her his heart, and said, Behold this heart which has loved men so much, yet has spared nothing, exhausting, consuming itself in order to testify to them its love. Okay. Uh, Jesus in the gospel says, um, um, learn from me for I am meek and humble of heart. So Jesus puts his heart before us as, as a symbol to, to learn from, to imitate meekness and humility, the two great virtues of Jesus. Okay. And um, <clears throat> however, the devotion to the heart of Jesus doesn't begin with that verse. It begins with something else. It's actually not a not a, a quote of Jesus. It's really a description of an event. Do you know what it could be, Angela? No. It's at the cross. Oh. Where would the heart of Jesus be revealed? Being pierced. That's it. Yeah. This is it. Yes. It is the piercing of the side of Christ. Um St. John tells us he was there along with Mary. After Jesus dies, his side was pierced. Blood and water flow out. And John doesn't say specifically that Christ's heart was pierced, but this is how the piercing of Christ's side has been interpreted because medically speaking, the blood and the water flow out because his heart was pierced. When a body is drained of blood, the heart will fill with water with, with, um, from the body. And Jesus literally bled to death. And so when, when the, the soldier pierces Christ's side, uh, we know his heart was pierced because John describes blood and water flowing out. This is the beginning of devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus, which we can trace to some of the early saints. Saint Justin the Martyr uh, saw the piercing of the side as the piercing of his heart. Uh, Saint Cyprian did, other early saints, and this devotion began to grow. But I like to say, even though there's no um, um, explicit testimony of this, um, saying in, in reference to Mary, Mary, in my opinion, is the first devotee to the heart of Jesus, the pierced heart of Jesus, because she's there, she sees, along with John, the pierced heart. Okay? Now, John doesn't tell us that Mary began a devotion to the heart, but uh, this, is, this is, in my opinion, the beginning of devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus, his pierced side and heart. Okay? 
Are we out of time? I think so. I think so. Okay, we'll have to return in a few minutes to, yes, it looks like we're, we're 20 to 3, okay? So. Want an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MAT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. In your spare time, would you help the Catholic community? WSFI Radio needs a volunteer to help with administrative data entry and office work in Libertyville, Illinois. For more information, call Angela at 224-206-8455, 224-206-8455, or email us at info at wsfiradio.org. Okay, this is Father Dwight Campbell back for the third segment of our Marian Hour today. This is Wednesday, June 9th. And uh, my topic in light of the upcoming feasts, Friday and Saturday, the Sacred Heart of Jesus, the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I'm, I'm talking about how devotion to the heart of Jesus began uh, before I talk about the heart of Mary. And and devotion, we trace the devotion, not to Jesus' words, learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, but rather his pure side and heart. And the early saints saw, with the blood and water flowing out, his heart was pierced. And I, I consider Mary to be the first devotee to the heart of Jesus, the pierced heart of our Lord, she at the foot of the cross, and John as well with her, okay, um, who was there with our, our Lady as Mary's heart was pierced as well. So um, I'll mention here that there's a <clears throat> uh, an encyclical, it's worth reading, a beautiful encyclical from 1956, Pope Pius XII, on the Sacred Heart of Jesus. If you want to learn devotion to the Sacred Heart, this is the encyclical to read. It's really beautiful. Every Catholic should, should read this. And um, Pius XII makes the point in this encyclical that devotion to the Sacred Heart was always in the Church. Some people think, oh, it began with St. Margaret Mary Alico and Jesus revealing his heart. No, that really helped devotion to spread, but the devotion was there, as I'll explain in the next few minutes, okay, from the very beginning with his purest heart. And, I mean, if we think about it, um, what, what is amazing is that right now, in the Holy Trinity, there is a living human heart beating. It's the heart of Jesus, okay? And because the heart of Jesus is part of Christ's body, substantially united to the Word of God, the second person of the Trinity, 
Uh, we can worship and adore Christ's heart. It's one aspect of worshiping, adoring Jesus himself, and especially under the symbol par excellence of his divine and human love. Okay, So um, that devotion to the heart of Jesus began to grow and, and develop over the centuries. But I'm going to turn now just to give a biblical basis for Mary's heart. Now, with the heart of Mary, we have two references, explicit references to her heart. And this is in the Gospel of St. Luke. St. Luke tells us after Jesus was born, this is chapter 2, um, verse 19, that Mary kept all these things, pondering them in her heart. And to keep the, uh, yeah, the, the Greek word there, sinitere, and dietary, uh, actually because there's another reference after they find Jesus in the temple, St. Luke tells us Mary kept these things in her heart. Okay, uh, To keep means to, to uh, retain in one's memory. Okay, So Mary, like a good mother, she, she puts in her memory these, these events of, you know, the, the, the shepherds coming, well, of the birth of her son, the shepherds coming to to adore, then the magi coming, and and all the other things that that take place in the life of Jesus, okay, and then Saint Luke in verse two nineteen says, Mary kept these things, pondering them in her heart, and pondering it's a participle, um, the Greek word is symbolusa, and what what that really means is. Uh, not only to ponder, but to, to compare things, okay? When we, we get the word symbol from this, okay? A symbol is you compare one thing with another, okay? A symbol, something represents something else. Well, Mary compared in her heart, okay, all these things from the scriptures, the Old Testament, which she knew, you know, the Annunciation, the, you know, the, the birth of Christ, the, the Magi coming, everything in the life of Jesus. And another interpretation of this word symbolusa is to interpret. Okay, Mary in, interpreted all these things, all these events. That's what mothers do. It's so motherly. Okay, she's she's retaining in her memory and she's she's comparing all these different events of of Christ that she's a part of and and then she's interpreting them. And, you know, the tradition of the church is that Mary is the one who related to St. Luke, you know, the, the events of the Annunciation, the birth of Jesus, and, you know, Jesus' early life especially. And um, so this is the biblical basis for, for Mary, uh, devotion to her heart, uh, these two explicit references from St. Luke. But then there's another one from St. Luke as well, and this is Luke 2.35. And it's not an explicit reference to her heart. It's an implicit reference. But uh, it's when Mary takes Jesus, the baby, to the temple 40 days after his birth, presents him. Simeon says, This child shall be the rise, the fall of many, like a sword that will pierce your soul. The Greek is suke. But from the early centuries, the church has interpreted also a sword would pierce her heart. And that was a prophecy fulfilled at Calvary when Mary's heart was pierced by a sword of sorrow. So we see 
these three verses really um, revealing to us uh, and this is the start of devotion to Mary's heart, because when people hear this in the Gospels, they, they start thinking about, well, what does Mary's heart mean? And so this is the beginnings of, of devotion to her heart. Okay, And I'll say something here, too, about how Mary's heart is related to the heart of Jesus. Well, uh, St. John Paul II really put a stamp of approval on, on what has come to be known as the the union or the alliance of the hearts of Jesus and Mary, because there's a union and alliance of their persons. From all eternity, uh, God willed that his son should take flesh. Okay, But in that same plan from all eternity, Mary was involved. And Pope Pius IX, in his bull defining the immaculate conception speaks of the one and the same eternal decree uniting mary with her son in you know the incarnation birth of her son so so mary's in union with with her son from all eternity and her heart is in union with the heart of jesus and this is a teaching that has developed over the centuries. And actually, Pope St. John Paul II uh, spoke about this beautifully in a whole series of talks he gave commenting on the litany of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. You can get this book if you look up a book, John Paul II, his talks on the litany of the Sacred Heart. Uh, he was talking about how the hearts of Jesus and Mary are in this union, this alliance, and how we go to the heart of Jesus through the heart of Mary. Does okay. the miraculous metal have Yes. That's why Right that's, from that's, heaven. Well, yes, and this is this is a heavenly confirmation of this union of the two hearts because on the back of the miraculous metal you have an M beneath the cross, and beneath the M you have the two hearts. You have the heart of Jesus surrounded by thorns, and um, this is how you know Jesus' heart is, is usually portrayed in artwork. And on the right, under the M, you have the heart of Mary with a sword going through it, um, reflecting this prophecy of Simeon, which was fulfilled at the foot of the cross. And that's why the M is under the, under the cross. And was that designed by heaven itself? Or Actual, was that absolutely. the front and the back of the medal? Yes, absolutely. When, when, when St. Uh, <coughs> Catherine Labore, this is in 1830, when she... When Mary appeared to her in the image of the immaculate uh, of of the miraculous medal, you know Mary appeared to her in an, with an oval shape surrounding her. The front of of this image, which Saint Catherine Labre saw, you know, was Mary. She's got this in this oval shape around her. She's got her foot over the head of the serpent. She's got her hands out by her sides with rays coming forth from some of her fingertips, which represents. Uh, the grace through her prayers and on the outside of the medal okay, are the words O Mary conceived without sin pray for us who have recourse to thee so um, then St. Catherine Labore saw this whole image like rotate and turn around and then she saw the back of of this this image she's seeing with the M with the cross on top and the two hearts underneath. 
and 12 stars around the outside of the oval shape, which is symbolic of, of uh, the crown of Mary described in Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. Mary is the woman with, uh, crowned with uh, 12 stars. Okay? Uh, the moon under her feet on her, on her had a crown of 12 stars. So, uh, yes, this is a heavenly you know, affirmation, you could say, of this, this truth of the hearts of Jesus and Mary being united in, in, a, in a bond, in a union of love. And something else I want to say here, um, you know, in God's plan, something St. Louis de Montfort says, and this is true in regard to the persons of Mary and also with their hearts, okay? Um, we go to Jesus and to his heart through Mary and her heart. And uh, this is really a, a living out of what I like to call the Marian principle of total relativity to Christ. Mary is totally relative to Christ. Everything in regard to Mary is relative to Jesus. Think of the Magnificat. Mary says, my soul doth magnify the Lord. Okay? Not herself. You know, she's given all this grace not to magnify herself, but to the Lord. And um, we, we say, there's a saying in, in Latin, De Maria, num quam satis, which translates into English, of Mary, one can never say enough. Because Mary doesn't attribute any prayers, honor given to her, to herself. She, she gives it to her son. And uh, because everything in Mary is relative to, to Jesus Christ. And um, uh, I think it's Saint um, Maximilian Kolbe, you know, said that we can never praise Mary too much because we can never praise her more than Jesus does and honor her more than Jesus does. So we don't have to worry about praising Mary too much or we're taking away from Jesus by, by honoring Mary. No, no, no. And anyway, let me just, in five minutes left, I'm, I'm going to just quickly talk about, uh, you know, throughout history, the history of the church, devotion to the heart of Jesus began to grow and develop. And more and more saints saw what... Uh, what God wanted to be known, basically, that that we should have uh, be worshiping and honoring the the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and um, we have, for example, in the 12th century, the first great hymn to the Sacred Heart is written, which was what Father? the Sumi Regis Cor uh, to the Heart of the Most High King, uh -huh. and here here are listen to these verses: All hail to the heart of our Most High King. Oh, how bitter was thy death, how strong, ardent was thy last breath, how it pierced the sacred cell where the life of the world will to dwell, tearing through thee, most sweet heart. Okay. Wow. And um, uh, Jesus appeared to St. Margaret Mary Alico in, 60, in the 1670s. And um, one of the things he promised to St. Margaret Mary was that whoever receives Holy Communion for nine consecutive First Fridays in honor of his heart and reparation to his heart, uh, Jesus would assure salvation for that soul. He said um, that um, um, he will give, 
make sure that they die with the sacraments, okay? And another thing that Jesus promised St. Margaret Mary is, and this comes, this is the practice of enthroning an image of the heart of Jesus. Uh, wherever an image of his heart is, is enthroned or placed in a prominent place to be honored, uh, that Jesus would greatly bless that, that place, that home. And I, I do the, the enthronements of, of the heart of Jesus. And usually you enthrone the image of the heart of Mary because Jesus is king. He reigns his reign of love. Uh, the enthronement is an acknowledgment of that. Jesus reigns over our lives, a reign of love, and we're to carry that love out. The social reign starts in the home and the family. But Mary reigns along with Christ. Her reign is as vast and broad as that of her son. Now, devotion to the heart of Mary progressed, developed over the centuries, and I could offer many examples of this, but it, it really you know, took off in a, in a beautiful way with the revelations by Mary to the children at Fatima, where Mary told the children um, that Jesus wants my heart you know, honored along with his heart. Okay? Now, to go back to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, one of the things that Jesus told St. Margaret Mary is, I want a feast day in honor of my heart. This was the 1670s. It took about 100 years, but the Pope finally, in the year 1765, uh, made the, the, the devotion to the heart of Jesus, the, the, the Mass, the feast day, universal throughout the Church. And uh, the heart of Mary, um, actually St. John Eudes, in the 1600s, uh, composed a mass in honor of Mary's heart, but that wasn't uh, fully uh, uh, made made a universal feast until um, the late, well, early 1800s. Okay, and then as I spoke earlier, how um, Pius X placed it after the feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Um, Pius XII moved it to August 22nd. Now it's back. On the, on the new calendar this coming Saturday following the Feast of the Sacred Heart. So I think we're about time running out. We'll we have your blessing, Father? Sure. Through the intercession of the sorrowful and immaculate heart of Mary, may Almighty God bless you and keep you. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to The Marian Hour with Father Dwight Campbell. For a free copy of this recording, please visit us at wsfipodbean.com.